Welcome to the Teach Strong podcast. My name's Sam Hart. I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to wellbeing. And this show is a platform for me to bring you the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. Today on the show, I have a truly inspirational guest. Jane Thurnall-Reed is an author and public speaker who's passionate about health and well-being. Her two latest books, Menopause, Weight Loss, Live Well, Sleep Well, Stop, Hot Flashes and Lose Weight, and 190 Weight Loss Hacks, What the Evidence Says, are both bestsellers in their categories on Amazon. And if you come across Jane on social media, you'll see her lifting weights in the gym that put most of us to shame. Not bad for a lady in her 70s. Now, I've invited Jane on the show to talk about her latest book about menopause. The menopause is a topic that is now being talked about more in general and within schools. And I want this episode to be a part of that conversation, helping women discover approaches that could really make a difference to their lives. Jane talks to me about discussions around menopause, the approaches she recommends in her book around managing menopausal symptoms, and the advice she'd offer men who want to support women in their life too. Right, let's get into the conversation. Here's my chat with author Jane Thurnall-Reed. Welcome Jane to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Right. So you've written a book on the topic of menopause. It's called Menopause, yeah. Weight Loss, Live Well, Sleep Well, Stop Hot Flashes and Lose Weight. Now, from what I can see, menopause is being talked about more and more in schools. Um, of course, it's something that affects so many people, so it should be spoken about more. Um, and there should be, I think, more info and resources out there to help people. Um, I thought we could start off by me asking you, why do you think it is that for so long it hasn't been talked about openly? Well, I think part of that reason is is cultural. I mean, if you think back, and, and even still to some, some extent today, um, you know, women and period, periods was something people didn't talk about. It was considered quite shameful. Um, in some cultures, women have to seclude themselves while they are menstruating. Um, you know, um, there are biblical laws and, and, and so religious restrictions and so on. So there's always been this thing about, you know, having your period. You can't, you definitely can't talk to men about it. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because they wouldn't understand, but partly because there's something a bit, maybe a bit shameful about it. And I think, that is really, really changing. So if you can't talk openly about having periods, you also can't talk openly about your period stopping, um, which of course is what you know the menopause is essentially about. Um, and I, so I'm, I mean, I'm delighted to see how much it is changing. And I, th- you know, 20 years ago, you and I would not be able to have this conversation. Even if you were, were a woman, I don't think we would have been able to have this conversation, but certainly not you being a man. So it's amazing that this, we can now start to talk about these things. Yeah, thankfully, in some areas of society, we are st- seeing progress. Perhaps not yes. every area, but no, <laughs> in no, this part, we would like to think is an example of that, where, yes, these yeah. things are being discussed more openly and regardless of your gender as well. Because, uh, of of course, as a man, I want to know about this and I, and I want to be able to talk about it openly and, and understand because 
of course, how can I be a good brother or partner or colleague if, if I don't understand something that someone that I know or love is going through? And I suppose it leads me on to the, the next question. You know, I am a man and I'm very aware of my limitations when talking about the menopause, things that one can do to help and the experience of going through the menopause. But I have people in my life. I've got three sisters, friends, colleagues who like any other aspect of health, I want to be able to help if this is something that they're going through. Now, so for those listeners uh, who are in the same boat as me, perhaps, could we start off with a brief overview of what the menopause is and the experiences of women um, before we get into those more practical aspects of things people can do? Yeah. Okay. So the menopause is a time when women's hormones change and they lose the ability to be able to produce children. And that in itself for some women can be quite a traumatic thing. And that can be quite difficult, I think, to understand as a man, because you might say, well, you haven't wanted children for the last 15 years. So what's so so big about now that you that you can't? And, and I think a lot of women would say it's having that possibility taken away from them, even though they may not want to do it um, and would have been horrified if they'd found themselves pregnant. Um, so I think that's very important. I mean, what I would say to men is be supportive. Don't try and solve it. It's really important. You know, I think often in the interchange between men and women, men try to solve women's problems and the woman doesn't necessarily want the problem solving uh, and then gets a bit irate with the man because he's trying to solve it. And that wasn't what she wanted. What she wanted was support, sympathy, etc. So I, I, I think that's really um, the crux of it is just to be sympathetic, listen, support, don't try and solve it. Mm. Don't tell her about women who have gone sailed through the menopause with few or no problems. You know, this, all those obvious things you shouldn't do. Yeah, so handling it with a, a bit of sensitivity for sure. Yes, um, yes. I suppose one might hear of some of the um, symptoms, you know, hot flashes or struggling to sleep. And then I suppose I might be guilty of this myself and other aspects of health and well-being. Well, oh, just try this this, and then you'll be fine. Just try that and that will solve your problem. And it, it, sometimes that can help, but often that, that doesn't help, does it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite hard for women to take advice from men about what to do about the menopause. I mean, just like if a woman tried to um, advise a man about what to do about his, you know, getting up his enlarged prostate, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of men would go, you know, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to listen to you. Um, and I think that's how, how women feel. But, but you can be supportive, just yeah. like women can be supportive of men who are having to get up in the night a lot because of their enlarged prostate. Yeah. So it's a similar sort of thing. It's support, not solutions. Yeah, support, be there to listen, for mm. sure. Um, yeah. And then... But what about some of the experiences that women do go through at this at this time in their life? Um, wh what is that like, and, and what what are some of the ways that kind of the the, the menopause, menopause can present it itself? What do some women experience? Well, I mean, people t women talk about putting on weight, right. about brain fog, about uh, sometimes about anxiety and depression. Um, they'll talk about lack of energy. Um, hot flushes or flashes as they call them in the US, but hot, we call them hot flushes generally in the UK, and night sweats, 
which are night sweats are, as the name described, they're like hot mm. flushes at night. Um, so women talk about all these things. But one of the really interesting things I found when I started writing the book was a lot of this is very cultural. Mm. For for example, 75%, around 75% of women in the UK report a problem with hot flushes. In China, it's around 10%. Huge yeah. difference. Yeah. In Japan, the pre predominant problem menopausal women talk about are headaches and stiff shoulders. I've never, ever heard a menopausal woman in the UK talk about stiff shoulders. Now, we don't exactly know the reason why um, there are these differences. Some of it's thought to be cultural because mm. it's not just – I'm just – I'm giving you two examples, but but there are huge cultural di – uh, huge differences of how people experience it throughout the world. Um, so some are thought to be cultural. Some are thought to be to do with the diet. Some are thought to be d to do with how much older women are valued within the society. That sort of thing can have an effect on how people experience the menopause. But I think what this really tells us and I don't want, particularly want to get bogged down in the cultural detail. Mm -hmm. But what it tells us is that it's not all about your hormones. Because mm. if it was just your hormones changing, and that's how we define the menopause medically, it's about the change in hormone levels. But it was, if it was just about that, then all women would ex in all cultures would experience it the same. And, and that's not what's happening. You know, we, we get more hot flushes in the UK, more stiff shoulders in Japan. Interesting, right? Yeah, those cultural differences. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where to even start to how, how to unpick them. But like you said, that it points to the fact that there must be other things going on. And, and I suppose that's what will now come to, isn't it? You know, what what are the different factors? What are the different like kind of things that we might be able to um, tweak to to help at, at this stage of yeah. a, a woman's life, and yeah. that's what I love to do. You know, to make this episode as practical as possible. Yeah. Could we look at yeah. each of the different approaches to managing the menopause that you explore? Because your book is all about taking the research, simplifying it into actionable steps, and it would be great if we could go over some of these steps. Um, you know, you you talk about losing weight, don't you, or maintaining a healthy weight? You talk about sleep and and hot flashes or flushes as well. Yeah. I've, I've learned something new already. Hot flashes, yes. and flushes. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you can we, can we talk about losing weight first? Because yeah. this. I think this, again, gives you an opening into how to think about the menopause. Um, because in general, if you look on the web, there's huge amounts of articles about, you know, how to prevent menopause weight gain, um, how much weight you will gain during the menopause, that sort of thing. So, and, and all of this very much suggests that it's inevitable, that mm -hmm. women are going to put on weight during the menopause. There may be the lucky few who don't, but for most women, it's going to be a real struggle. And that's more or less what I thought too, until I started to read some um, research from Monash University in Australia. And they did 
research on weight loss, on we sorry, uh, well, weight maintenance, weight loss, weight gain, um, for menopausal women. And they took menopausal women who'd lost weight, um, who'd entered the menopause naturally, so not uh, medically induced menopauses. And um, they had people who, women who'd had early menopause, which I, th I can't remember the exact figures now. It's something like around 40, age 45. Women who'd had a normal menopause, around 50 years old, and then women with a late menopause, which was around 55. I, I may be wrong on those figures, but that will give you an approximate idea of... Um, and what they found was that they all put weight on at the same time. Now, if the menopause caused the weight gain, the 45-year-olds who went into menopause should have put on weight sooner than the 55-year-old who went into menopause at 55 years old. But they didn't find that. They found those who put on weight all put on weight around the same age. And so the conclusion was menopause, one of the lead researchers said menopause as a cause of weight gain is a myth. Um, and what she said was what happens is it's environmental factors and aging that cause the weight gain. So it's not to do with the menopause itself. And I think this gives us a lot of hope because if it was the menopause, the reason you're gaining weight, um, not a lot you can do about it. You know, you maybe you'd have to restrict what you eat even more. But if it's because of aging and because of environmental factors, then you can do something about it. So, for example, if you've gradually take, started to take less exercise and eat more and maybe drink more alcohol, because you've now got more money, maybe the kids have left home, so you know you and your partner can sit with a bottle of wine, whereas before you wouldn't have done because you would have been ferrying the kids around. You're actually consuming more calories. But if you put on weight um, and you happen to be menopausal at the same time, you'd think, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. This is the menopause, right? If you understand that it's probably not the menopause, you'd look at your life and go, oh, yes, actually, yeah, I, I stopped going to the Zumba class. Um, I've stopped walking to work. I've started taking the car. Um, oh, yeah, I'm eating more chocolate or you know, I'm drinking more wine or whatever it happens to be. Um, I'm going out for lunch more than I used to and then inevitably then I eat, eat a dessert and so on. So you actually then would start to look at why you're putting on weight. But if you believe it's down to the menopause, and remember these researchers say menopause weight gain is a myth, um, the menopause itself causing the weight gain. Um and that seems to be throughout the research I looked at over and over again, this seems to be a common thing that a lot of things, um, a lot of symptoms, uh, women assume are caused by the menopause, but could be something completely, there could be some other reason for them. But as long as they believe they're part of the menopause, they don't take any action. Right. Uh, Eye-opening and... I'd like to think empowering as well, thinking about... Well, oh, I this think it's really empowering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's really hopeful. It's really empowering. 
it says I can do something about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went through the menopause over 20 years ago now, and I had a relatively straightforward menopause compared with a lot of women. And I just assumed I was lucky. And um, it was only when I wrote the book that I realized a lot of the, th- a lot of the things I was doing with my lifestyle actually meant that I didn't put on weight at that time, that I didn't have, um, I had some hot flushes, but not, you know, debilitating and so on. I didn't get anxiety and depression. I was a bit tired for a while, but nothing at all extreme. And um, it's only now looking back, I go, oh, that was the reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the research wasn't there then about the importance of a healthy lifestyle in terms of the menopause. Right, right, interesting. And so, could we kind of unpack that a little? You know, if, yeah. could we talk a bit about food and or anything else that you um, would uh, that you explain in the book about maintaining a healthy weight or even helping people to lose weight if that's what um, that's if that's their goal? Yeah, I mean, I tend actually to talk first of all about weight maintenance, right. which sounds a bit like putting the cart before the horse, but. You know, by the time women get to 45, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them will have lost and gained weight over the years. Um, and some of them will go, I'm not going to go through all that again. So I, I tend to talk about weight maintenance and um, important things for weight maintenance seem to be um, weighing yourself either every day or once a week. I personally weigh myself every day and I'm not looking at, oh my God, you know, I've put on a pound since yesterday. I'm looking for the trend. Um, So people who want to maintain weight, you weigh yourself every day, take exercise and obviously pay attention to your diet. But, But the two big differences in weight maintenance. So I always give people this first, right? You know, if you want to lose weight, great, we can focus on that. But you need to know what you're going to do to maintain it. Because mm. otherwise, there's no point in losing it. So, start with how you're going to maintain it. Make this plan for how you're going to maintain it. Are you going to weigh yourself? I would recommend every day because then you can see the trend. So, you know, over a couple of weeks, if I st- that pound stays there, then I go, okay, I've put on a pound over the last two weeks. It's not really good. What do I need to do? And then you only need to make minor adjustments um, and and also taking exercise. And again, what exercise do you want to take? So you've got to get that all worked out. So I always say to people, start with weight maintenance. It, you know, that's not an afterthought. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet and lose weight. It's start with how you will maintain that weight loss when you when you've made it. Um, in terms of losing weight, um, everything points to increasing your fruit and veggies, eating more fiber, um, simple things like having half your plate, fruit and veggies. Um, somebody did some research where that was the sole, uh, rule Mm. that people had to apply to what they ate which was half my plate will be fruit and veggies and I can have whatever I want on the other half of the plate. So I can have, you know, a Big Mac, I can have you know, three bars of chocolate, whatever. But on the other, other half of the plate, there will be half a plate of fruit and or fruit or vegetables. And, and people 
lost a, quite a fair amount of weight and actually liked it because it was so easy. And and what happened, you know, oh, oh, I fancy a bar of chocolate. Oh, no, if I have a bar of chocolate, that means I've got to, you know, have an apple and some banana, and banana or I've got to eat carrot or I need to make a salad. And they wouldn't do it. So I think there's a lot of evidence that having a very simple diet works really well in terms of weight loss, having just a few rules rather mm. than something really complicated. So that that would be a simple rule. The importance of fruit and veggies are, in general, they're low calorie. Um, so you get more bang for your buck, as the Americans would say. Um, so they fill you up. They've got a lot of fiber in them. And there's now more and more evidence that, um, put very simply, there are two types of bacteria in our gut. There's the bad bacteria and good bacteria. Um, the good bacteria like fiber, mm. as you find in fruit and vegetables and whole grains and stuff. And the bad bacteria like sweets and <laughs> very sweet stuff. And so, it, it becomes quite a virtuous or a vicious cycle. If you're eating healthy, nutritious food, over time you're feeding the bacteria that affect, that influence your appetite at a physiological level we're talking here. They influence your appetite so that you seek more, um, more fruit and vegetables. If you feed your bacteria... Um, sweet, sugary, salty stuff and uh, processed food that feeds, feeds a different type of bacteria. And then there's this loop back mechanism that these bacteria then physiologically persuade you, you want to eat more processed food. Mm. So, um, so it's really important for, for lots and lots of different reasons to be eating lots of veggies, lots of fiber, nuts, and seeds, people will worry about nuts when they see how high they are in calories. But the research shows that actually a portion of nuts a day is extremely good for your health and well-being, um, good for your brain power and all sorts of things like that. And is also actually people, studies have shown that people lose weight if they have a handful of uh, nuts and seeds sort of, you know, mid-morning break. Mm. Yeah, I think I might have seen that study. It's kind of they they ate the same thing, but the one group had added uh, a portion of nuts as well, and those are the group that lost weight. I don't know if I've got yes. that right, but is it something like that? But anyway, well, there's been various studies. There's some that have shown that, and there's also some that have shown if people eat a handful of nuts at mid morning, you know, at the break at break, then they tend to eat less at lunchtime as well. Right. And of course, nuts are full of minerals and really good stuff, so they can help your mood and everything else. So I strongly recommend everybody, male, female, menopausal or not, yeah. to have a handful of nuts every day, preferably oh, yeah. not salted. Yes, yeah, or, or sugary, of course, yeah, those ones that are yes. covered in honey or something. Yeah, maybe, or maybe chocolate or something, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, yes, um, I love mine. have every kind of different type during the day, I think. Walnuts, almonds, peanut butter, Brazil nuts, all in one day. But anyway. Yes, I'm a great fan. I think what you said about the the processed food, that's something that perhaps people can um, sympathise with, and I can, I feel like, 
it, it, when I have a day of eating those types of food, I then you just kind of get into that cycle. And you're right, the on the on the uh, uh, the reverse is true as well. I think a day of really healthful fruits, uh, lo- loads of fruits, loads of veggies, kind of you then you wake up and you, you're just looking for more of those foods because you wake up feeling so good. Um, and we see a lot of that. The, the kind of the yo-yo dieting that you mentioned towards the, the the beginning of that answer that you that you gave, don't we? A lot of kind of up yeah. and down, struggling to maintain a weight because we might go on this kind of fad diet that encourages to cut out a certain type of food and then lose a lot of weight, but then realise it's just not sustainable, it's not practical, and then end up putting that weight back on and maybe even more, which is just so. Um, so demotivating isn't it so it's so tough yeah yeah i mean i mean women who who yo-yo diet well men too who yo-yo diet a lot i would say the first thing you need to do is do three months of maintaining whatever weight you are now doesn't matter if you're obese or whatever you know clinically obese or whatever you are just do three months of maintaining whatever weight you are now not putting any on you know just aim for that not losing any either, just aim to stay at whatever weight you are. Because people, you know, obese people or, or overweight people are often either trying to, you know, uh, trying to lose it. They're never a hap- sort of, but just find, try and find that I will work in the next three months or even six months if, you, if you're really messed up in your head maybe to just stay where I am. Yeah, and, I've never, I've never um, heard of you know, that. learn that, like weigh myself every day, take exercise, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never, I've never heard it put like that. Like, find out how you can just maintain your weight. It's kind of, I suppose, stopping it in its tracks, isn't it? What do I need to do just to be on an even keel? And you're absolutely right. That's what we want to be able to do. Because if you're going to lose the weight, of course, you then need to maintain that rather than just yeah. put it back yeah. on. Again. So start with that. If that's yeah. difficult for you, then don't don't bother about the losing weight. Start mm. with the maintaining your weight, whatever it is. This doesn't mean you've given up. Mm. You haven't given up. You're not saying I'm going to maintain this weight for the rest of my life. You're just saying right now I'm going to maintain the weight I am. Interesting, interesting. And then finally, before we kind of move off <laughs> this topic, yes. um, I I really liked what you said about the kind of the simple approaches as well. It seems like that is what that that is the way to go. Um, just a simple rule, like you said, maybe it's to fill up half your plates with fruits and veggies. I think another simple rule might be cut out processed foods or maybe cook all of your meals, like everything you can eat, whatever you want, but you have to cook it at home and yeah. just something or like only- that. Sorry, one of my favourites is yeah. only eat sitting down. Right, yeah. That's quite a, a simple rule, but it's a, it, can, it can reduce the amount people eat, you know, because otherwise you open the fridge door or you open the cupboard door and, oh, there's some salted peanuts. I'll have some salted peanuts while I think about what I'm going to cook for dinner, you know, that sort of thing. So if you say, okay, I'm going to eat some salted peanuts, but I've got to go and sit down and eat yeah. them, then it can stop you eating stuff. Yeah, that reminds me of another rule of put your knife and fork down between every mouthful. You could eat the exact same thing, couldn't you, in front of you. But if you do that, it's likely that you're going to eat less because you are being more mindful about how much you're consuming. Um, Interesting. Um, And then I guess exercise is another factor, isn't it, in terms of maintaining weight or, or losing weight. I do think that maybe people get this 
Uh, maybe it's kind of exaggerated how just how much of an effect exercise can have on weight lo- loss. I hear a lot about, mm. Um, mm. well, I hear other people put it really nicely and that they say there are thousands of reasons to exercise and weight loss is well, well down the list. You know, there are loads of amazing reasons to exercise, but but um, it's it's maybe not the biggest factor in in helping you lose weight. It's probably more what you're eating, isn't it? You know, there's that old adage of oh, you can't you can't agree. outrun a bad diet, can you? And so yes. yeah, it'd be, I'd be interested to hear what your your thoughts are around exercise. No, I compl- I actually do completely agree with mm. that. That um, yeah, and I get very frustrated by people. I, I go to the gym regularly and I get talking to people in the changing room and often they're really, really focused on, oh, I've lost a pound this week or I've put a pound on. And I go, are you any stronger? You know, mm-hmm. what could, you know, have you got more energy? Are you more confident? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, but I've, but I put a pound on. I go, no, 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 this isn't the way to think about exercise. It's, um, it, I, for me, exercise is completely about function. Mm. Um, how it helps me function better in life. Mm. And, um, you know, that's the most important thing. Um, And I think really we're just beginning to understand the benefits of exercise generally. Um, In terms of mental health, Mm. there's that lovely quote. I can't remember what the guy says. It's something like, um, I can't remember who who says it, but it's something like um, a bad mood is not a reason it's not it's not a reason not to exercise it's the very reason you should be exercising and and I certainly find you know if I'm in a bad mood or anxious or upset about something and I go to the gym and work out hard a lot of that tension and anxiety and stuff goes so I really really recommend it for for women um I mean, I think running's great, but I think and yoga and and zumba and all sorts of things are great. I really, really do encourage women though to do strength training. Yeah. I think that's really, really important, um, and particularly if you're concerned about osteoporosis. Um, there's another um, Australian study, and I can't. I think it might be the University of Sydney. I can't remember at the moment. But um, the conclusion of that was that strength training, resistance training, weight training, whatever you want to call it, should be part of dementia prevention programs. Mm. They said it should be an essential part of dementia prevention programs. Now, when you think about preventing dementia, very few people would say, oh, I need to go to the gym to help prevent dementia, but they're finding now that it does. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And, like, and as you mentioned, osteoporosis and all these things that as we get later on in later in our lives, strength training can really be protective, can't it, against yes. falls? And yes. then we know the kind of the the uh, the results that falls. Um, well, what am I trying to say? The effect that falls can have on people, you know, within that year, it, it really puts you at risk of a lot of things, isn't it? And so, yeah. if we can be doing something that's keeping you active, keeping you functional. Um, but strength training really does seem to be the way to go and, and would, would benefit so many more people if they if they did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I'd like women to see menopausal symptoms and the menopause is that it's the start of the rest of their lives. Mm. So that the menopause symptoms you're getting 
I mean, for some women, there are really hormone, big hormonal problems that need addressing. But for the vast majority of women, I see menopause symptoms as being messengers. So they're messengers telling us that um, there is something not right with our life. It's something that we need to pay attention to. And when you, if you pay attention to it in that way, then you're not paying attention to it just for the menopause. It's like for the rest of your life. You know, you can take HRT and it may stop your hot flushes and it will help prevent osteoporosis. But down the road, it's not going to prevent you getting diabetes. It's not going to prevent you having heart problems or dementia or any of those things. So if you take this time of the menopause and say, what is the menopause telling me? Mm. It's telling me about the imbalances in my life. I mean, I never had a huge number of hot flushes but um, when I was menopausal, but it became really clear to me that on days when I had a lot of, me- of hot flushes, I was actually stressed. So I began to see it as, as hot flushes were my body going, hey, hey, your life's out of balance. And it would be a question of going, okay, what's going on? Um, Maybe I'd had a big row with somebody and I needed to go and get that sorted and get us back on an even keel. Maybe I'd had four or five nights when I hadn't slept very well. Mm. Maybe I'd eaten loads of processed food. You know, there was always, when I thought about it, there was always some reason. And so, I'm very grateful for that time and for those hot flushes because they actually help me really fine tune the way I live so that I live in a way that has fed my life for the last 20 odd years. And I hope we'll go on feeding it for another 20 odd years because it's actually pointed me in the right direction. Mm. Um, And I think that's some. It's a much better approach than, oh, my God, I've got these hot flushes. What can I do? I get a fan, fan myself or whatever, you know, or um, wet a towel or something, or I'll take something herbal or I'll take some um, HRT or something like that. You really, this is your investment for the rest of your life, the menopause is. Mm. What a great message. I love it. And, again, it's that empowering Yes, exactly. It's an empowering message. Like, what can I do about this? And so many of these things can just influence every little aspect of our lives. And yeah, what yeah. a great way to put it. But I mean, if you read, if if you read books and look at the look on the web, it is all about menopause happens to women, mm. and they have to cope somehow. Yeah. You know, there's very little. Or else you get women who say, I loved it. I was just rude to everybody and blamed the menopause. <laughs> that's, that's an alternative story of the menopause. Oh. You know, sorry, I've stood here shouting at you for the last half hour. It's because I'm menopausal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, well, so we've, uh, yeah, we've, um, well, we've talked about one aspect of, of, what you cover in your book and kind of the title of your book. Um, but what about the other two when you mention about sleeping better and, and hot flushes that have come up a, a couple of times? Is there anything else that you would like to add around those, those two aspects? Well, sleeping better, um, again, interesting. Mm. A lot of the research I mean, if you're getting hot, hot flushes at night, so night sweats, they are definitely going to wake you up. 
because you're hot, the bed's wet, etc. And it's very, very unpleasant. Um, so certainly you need to be um, uh, addressing those and doing what you can. But also the evidence is, again, women will often blame um, the menopause for poor sleep um, when it could be about stress, about alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, people are sometimes surprised that alcohol you know, if you say to somebody, does alcohol affect your sleep? A lot of people will say, yeah, it helps me get to sleep. Um, and that the evidence is that's true. It helps you get to sleep, but it makes the second half of your night or even two-thirds of your night more disturbed. You don't sleep as well if, you, if, if you've been drinking alcohol. Yeah, I've heard the same so thing. So it will help you get to sleep, but then it disrupts the rest of it. So this, overall, you sleep worse if you're drinking you know, regularly and heavily. Um, there are um, using essential oils. There's lots of research now about the benefit of lavender oil, um, and you can um, put some uh, lavender essential oil on a tissue, for example. Put that under your pillow. Um, mix it in with some water and spray it around the room. Something like that. Peppermint oil also helps people sleep. Same, doing the same thing. Peppermint oil is also very good for weight loss. So if you're trying to lose weight as well, then a good spray of peppermint oil might be a good thing. Um, The Royal College of Psychiatrists say if worry is keeping you from sleeping, then before you go to sleep, they suggest writing down the worries on a piece of paper. You're not looking for a solution. You're just writing about what's worrying you. Write it down on a piece of paper um, before you go to sleep, and that will often help people sleep better if the, if stress and anxiety and worry is helping to keep them awake. I also recommend gratitude. Mm. You know, three things that you're grateful for. Thinking about those before you sleep, um, or even saying them out aloud is probably better still. Um, they don't have to be big things. They can be like little, little tiny things, or just you know. I'm really glad I've got five toes, you know, something like that. You know, I'm very grateful that I've got five toes or something. It doesn't have to be mega, mega stuff. But, you know, writing down what you, what's worrying you um, or, and gratitude can, can really help people sleep better. Um, I personally really like um, Headspace, which is a mindfulness app. Um, and they have this thing called sleep music, and I particularly like the one called Slumber. Um, it sounds like an orchestra tuning up, so it's not really music at all. <laughs> um, but if I listen, the first time I ever listened to that, it felt like the two hemispheres of my brain were just going, sort of just synchronizing. It was it was beautiful, and um, you know, if I can't sleep usually because I'm thinking about writing a book or something, then uh, I I listen to that to help me get to sleep. Oh, nice. Yeah, Headspace is great. I use a Yoga Nidra guided meditation that's on Insight Timer. And I'll sometimes use that if I just want to have a nap in the day. And almost without fail, I'm asleep within five or ten minutes. It's just half an hour 
um, it, it's really nice if anyone wants that. That's my recommendation as well. I think it's from a, a yeah. called Still Point, I think, is the the teacher, the group that do that one. But yeah, Headspace, Insight Timer, and there are others as well, aren't there, that can do yes. yes. really nice guided meditations. Oh, so, so with sleep and hot flushes, again, it's that, you know, not outsourcing these things to you know someone or something else it's saying like look what can i do what is in my control and and so many of these approaches are just general approaches anyway aren't they general things yes. that can help so 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 many people but it's great to hear that they can help um women at this stage of their life as well and of course that makes sense completely but it's just so good to hear from from you as a, as an author and a speaker and someone who's passionate about this because what i find is that so much advice around this or around other aspects that you might find on the internet is just so general. It says, yes. eat a healthy diet. Well, what does that mean? Exercise more. Okay, well, what does that mean? And I realise it's not. it doesn't have to be complicated, but it needs to be a little bit more complicated than that overly simplified simplified message doesn't it a little bit more kind of um, guidance for people about what actually has been shown to be really effective you know whole food plant-based diet you know centering your your diet around these fruits vegetables whole grains nuts and seeds beans is, is fantastic strength training is absolutely brilliant isn't it and certain yes. kind of approaches to, to cardiovascular training as well is, is excellent and then as you've touched upon just now, ways to manage stress and ways to, to help you sleep better as well, whether that's guided meditations or or journaling, writing things down or gratitude. All these things are just, um, they, they can really help so many people, can't they? So I'm really, really yes. um, pleased that you've shared so many. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> that's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Okay, so now every episode I like to ask a couple of questions to finish off. And the first one, I would love to hear your three tips to thrive, Jane. You know, what three takeaways can you offer the listeners? Um, what can they take away from this conversation and go away and apply from today? Okay, so my first tip is to see the menopause as the start of your new life, not as something to be got over or managed, but as the start of it. It's a new beginning for, and it's for the rest of your life. So that would be my first one. The second one is that you're important. Um, researchers talk about a window of vulnerability, that menopause can be a window of vulnerability when women can struggle. Um, so the tip, so what I'm saying here is it's not selfish to take care of yourself. And a lot of women have, you know, had family responsibilities, you've got career responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. And you can miss out on looking after you. Um, if you find it difficult, I would just suggest think about the children, your children, maybe children you see at school, colleagues. Be a good role model. Model someone who looks after themselves, not in an obsessive, selfish way, but somebody who takes their own needs seriously and sees themselves as being important, not self-important, but just important and worthwhile spending time on. And the third one is make sleep a priority. Move it up your to-do list. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a sleep episode that will either be coming out before or after this one. And this is exactly, you know, the whole conclusion of chatting to a sleep expert is very much make sleep a priority. Thankfully, I think people are seeing sleep as more of a priority, aren't they? And, and uh, yes, not yes. so much that attitude of, no, no, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And yeah, what a waste of time. People are seeing yes. just, just how vital it is for physical and mental health. So I love that one. And I love your second tip as well. I think any listeners will not be surprised to hear me say that at all but that is what teach strong is is all about helping people empower themselves with the the tools to then be the model for the children that they work with yes show show what it looks like to be someone who looks after themselves yeah. and wants to fulfill yeah. their potential and wants to be a positive vibrant um member of society so i really love that second tip thank you and then one last question which is, what's that one lesson you wish you had been taught when you were a child? Okay, so it's the importance of curiosity. And I think maybe as we teach children about to be curious, maybe that's part of, I hope that's part of primary education. I think most people, most teachers would say it is. But it's that to go on being curious for the rest of your lives. If you're curious as you grow older, you're interested in other people. You're interested in what other people are thinking. That um, So that makes you a better friend. It makes you a better colleague. Um, I'm curious. I'm getting stronger as I get older. I mean, physically stronger, you know, in terms of weightlifting. And I'm really curious about how strong I can get. Um, so, uh, yeah, be curious. Fantastic. It's an important... It's an important virtue that is underestimated, I think. Definitely, definitely. It might have killed the cat, but I think it makes the the human being a better human being. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Curiosity is something that I'm trying to embrace as well. Um, Not Mm. being... um, not being afraid to admit my mistakes and, and thinking, well, I got that very wrong because I've, I've continued the curiosity and continued to investigate and continue to lots, listen to lots of different people and realise, all oh, right, well, maybe that is a bit more of a grey area than I once thought it was. It's not quite so. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. I um, curiosity is a great one and you are absolutely um getting stronger from what i've seen on social media it's just so impressive um i always like to watch your little clips in the gym um it's 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 truly inspiring jane it's it's awesome (laughs) to see deadlifting and lifting weights above your head and balancing um what what a model that is what a what a role model to to people out there look look what you can do um um, yeah, well, that's why I started the Instagram was uh, the videos yeah. on Instagram was to say to people, come on, come to the gym. It's fun. You get a sense of achievement, etc. Yeah, exactly. Gyms can maybe be quite scary places, can't they, for, yeah. for people that haven't been there um, before. But, it, it, you know, you can start off with the basics, build from there. And I think generally speaking, lots of gyms are very friendly, open places, aren't they? And, Much and more so are, now, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're not the kind of... Dusty, chalky, rusty places with lots of grunting men looking in mirrors that yes. they once were. Although I do yeah. see some uh, men still looking in mirrors at my gym, so I always give them a, a quick little eyeball and remind them that it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, that's another topic. Right, Jane, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I can't let you go, um, though, until you explain where people can connect with you and, of course, where, where people can buy your book, your books. Actually, it should be plural, shouldn't it? So please yeah. uh, feel free to explain more. Okay, so my books, um, The Menopause Weight Loss and my first book on weight loss, which is 190 Weight Loss Hacks, What the Evidence Says, they're both available via Amazon as ebooks, paperbacks. And um, the uh, 190 Weight Loss Hacks is available on Audible as an audio book, and the menopause book will hopefully be available in September as an audio book as well. Um, I've got a blog, janethernellreed.com, and I post on Instagram as Thriving Jane, uh, Jane, J-A-N-E, and um, yeah, an that's me. Name, I think an apt handle on Instagram, Thriving Jane, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so I'll, of course, put the links to both of those books in the show notes. So you can, any listeners, you can just click there and go straight to where you can purchase the book. Do check them out. Thank you so much for, for joining me. It's been, it's been a pleasure and I'm really looking forward to putting this episode out there. Thank you. I've loved it. Thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Jane Thernall reed I hope you found the advice Jane offered empowering and it will help you on your journey to health and happiness. If you enjoyed the episode, please share with friends, family and colleagues who you think will be interested too. And if you could take a couple of seconds to like the episode and follow the show and even rate the show, that will go a long way in helping me reach more educators. Thank you again and look out for another episode coming your way soon.